Thank you for joining the online ministry of New Life Fellowship. May you be blessed by the Word of God. The next, including tonight, four weeks, we are beginning this series. The Lord really impressed this upon me. So next week, Sister Tammy will be teaching here. I think you want to come for that. Uh, I'm interested in what she has to say. Amen. And so we're pursuing this particular topic and we will we will use this time uh, and delve into this topic set apart. Everyone say set apart. Now, I would like for you to be uh, cognitive. I want you to think, um, take notes. I want you to try to captivate the thoughts of your mind. And I'll make this statement here so you can maybe note a more uh, sober word. Pay particular attention. Don't miss this. Do not miss what will be taught here tonight and the next um, four weeks. Because this is a critical matter. Of course, all scripture is, but I think none could rise higher than what we are, are looking into and endeavoring even tonight, set apart. Now, the reason why I say that is because there is a triad of our faith. So this is not in your handout, but this is, there's a triad of our faith. This is scripture. The first is what we know as um, the Shema. The Jews call it the Shema, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They recited that in the morning. They recited that in the afternoon when they went to sleep. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Paul will write to the church, Galatia, chapter 4. He will say, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism. What, is that, what does that denote? Exclusivity. It means that's it. It's exclusive. It's like an exclusive club that you have to pay a lot of money to get into. But if you don't pay the money, you can't get in. So there is one Lord, everyone. One Lord. One Lord. And so that, that challenges every Buddhist, uh, every um, Hindu. It challenges billions of people. If you believe that there's one Lord, you are an exclusivist. And so that's the first part of our faith. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone means that everything is measured by Jesus Christ. Everything. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is in my hands. Amen. Now I could go down that road and and we'll never get back. And I'd be happy about it, but then... You'd wonder why I gave you this handout. The second part of our faith is the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It will never change. 
That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. Paul said, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached unto you, that you received how that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. We find the gospel being preached for the first time in its complete form in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Death, repentance, burial, water baptism, and resurrection is spirit baptism. That's just what the early church taught. That's the gospel. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. In fact, the Lord said, except you believe the gospel, you'll all likewise. Everyone's going to die if you don't believe the gospel. This is the gospel. In fact, Jesus said, Nicodemus, no one is going to enter heaven or see it unless you're born again of the water and of the spirit. Paul came back and said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into this gospel. And there'd be some that, that, that would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ and would change it. And he said, that's not even a gospel. Everybody got that? That's not even a gospel. So, amen. So the second part is the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection. You must die how do I die, Pastor? Well, you repent. It's called, it comes from the Greek word matinio, to repent. Repentance is more than just saying you're sorry. In fact, it's, it's change. It's a change of mind, change of direction. Water baptism. This happened all through the New Testament. There it is, water baptism. And spirit baptism. That's what the, that's what the infilling of the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Ghost. That's the second part. The third part is where we are tonight, and that is... Set apart. So here's the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17. Wherefore, this is, a, this is a reiteration of the Old Testament command from God to his people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. So, uh, holy... Holiness, or to be holy, is defined as set apart, dedicated, and consecrated. Now, this is not something optional. It's not something you can do or you feel like it. This is not something that, that's negotiable. God did not say, if you want to be. No, it is a direct command. Come out and be separate, saith the Lord. So, one of the things that has happened in, in the modern church is the devaluing of being set apart. In fact, in some Pentecostal churches, not all, um, but in some Pentecostal churches, and certainly in many, many evangelical churches, there has been an all-out pursuit to blend in instead of set, be set apart. To merge or to morph into whatever... Uh, the current culture dictates. But that's not the scripture. How are we doing? That's not, I got something happen. Did I get it? Like a, there might be a ladybug. And she may be a lady, but she won't die. I feel like she's buzzing around my head. She ain't no lady if she's bugging me like that, she won't die. So you've got this, you've got this full-out pursuit not to be a part, but to blend in. And there's a reason why people want to blend in, because to be set apart makes a demand of your life. 
To be set apart means that you'll be noticed. And furthermore, you'll have to answer for why you are set apart. Now, not everybody wants to answer. Not everybody wants to, to, to be noticed. And so what we found is that not only do people don't want to be noticed, but it's easier to go with a flow of the culture than to follow the word of God. Now, for me, I don't have any desire, but that's how people view this. So think of this. Uh, the beginning of our subject, set apart, is often misplaced with modern ideals, which entail a, uh, a push toward current issues. Now, when I say holy, what I mean is set apart. So if I say to you, we are a holy people, the, the, the def- definition of that is we are a set apart people. So don't be afraid to say, you are a holy man, a holy woman of God. It just simply means I'm set apart unto the Lord. All right. So while holiness or to be holy or the act of being set apart includes abstaining from worldly trends, the original starting point is nothing less than a matter of the heart. Because the heart dictates the outcome. And unless it's in your heart, everything else is just function. So there are people who are unholy. They, they are not holy because they don't have it in their heart. There is no holiness of the heart. And so they can do things by tradition or custom, but they don't have a desire for God. In fact, Jesus looked at the people once and he said, because they, were, they came to him wanting food. And he said, you, Isaiah was right about you. You serve me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. You, you, you want the provisions, but you don't have a heart for me. That's what Jesus said. And I find that to be true in a, lot of, in a lot of places where people really, they come because they think, I'll get something out of it, but it's not to give him something. But when we come, if you have in your heart, you've come to offer yourself. Okay. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? It's, 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 it's going to get worse from here. Just lower your expectations. <laughs> okay. So God gave instructions concerning the structure of life. And the structure of life was, it, it even had some pragmatism in it. So yes, it was heart, but, and it was emotion, and it was feeling, but also there was some clear structure that God instituted so that they could keep their life of holiness or set apart living. Now, if you have, if you have considered holiness in only attire, you've missed the greater part. It includes that, but there's so much more. There's so much more. Amen. How are we doing? All right. I'll check on you every once in a while and give you some oxygen. So again, the heart of a person is going to dictate something because out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. The abundance, I'm sorry, abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. So that whatever's coming in, it's going to eventually come out of your mouth. It's going to eventually come. Talk to someone long enough, they'll tell you what's going on. They'll tell you your flaws. They'll, they'll, they'll share something. They'll even lie. 
for no reason just to cover up something that's not right. So let's, let's work on this a little bit. Why should we be set apart? Well, number one, it's a biblical command. God said so. It's a biblical command. So once again, this is non-negotiable. There's no vote. We don't take this up at our annual business meeting. <laughs> God, God has told you. This is, in fact, Jesus said, be ye holy, even as my, fa- my Father which is in heaven is holy. Which is, it's a daunting task. It's be separate. Um, the second part is that it is an insulation from sinful practices and unnecessary temptations. Now, let me just tell you, there will be temptations, but some are unnecessary. And holiness sets you apart so that you don't put yourself into a place where you don't, you don't have to face a temptation. Let me just tell everybody. We are tempted with a lot of things that we should never have been tempted with in the first place. And the reason why is because we have not guarded ourselves and insulated ourselves by living a holy life. <laughs> There's many people that are being tempted of all kinds of things. Well, the reason why you're tempted, I don't know where that ladybug is, but I'm telling you what I, I feel her. I'm going to rebuke this ladybug. I am very sorry about that. I've, I've smashed her friend yesterday. Many temptations that people experience, and the reason why is because they're in the wrong place, talking to the wrong person, doing the wrong thing. And they're tempted. Well, if you walk out of your house and you turn right, you go down the road and you fall in a hole, and someone helps you get out, and the next morning you, you go out of your house and you turn right and you fall in this hole and someone helps you get out. And the third day you, you turn right out of your house and you try to avoid the hole and, 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 but you fall in any way and someone helps you get out. And the fourth day you start to think maybe I should turn left or go straight. Go around, don't even go down that road. Don't even go down that road because you know there is a danger down that road. And the problem with us is we engage with people that expose us to things that will conflict us, bind up our spirit, and some of those people go to church with us. Uh oh. Don't be thinking that you're going to change churches and solve the matter. They found the guy. He was, he's on a desert island. They found him. They found him. He's been there for years and years and years. He built everything. They said, man, this is an incredible house that you built out of all this, all this wood and all this debris. You built this. And he said, well, come over here. Look at my library. I got this library. I have anything that washes up on shore. I've got this. And Look over here. I've got a spa. He said, come, look at this place. I built my own church. They said, well, yeah, but what's that, what's that building over there? He said, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> so just, just so you know, um, holiness is an insulation. Now, I, I, I say that because we've been accused of isolation. Of course, I'm not so, I'm, uh, anymore today, I'm okay with that too. I'd rather not know all the stuff. But a lot of people in the church want to know. 
A lot of people want to know. That's why you watch news and movies and all the stuff and all that every day of your life and your brain saturated with all the junk. You're not in the word. So isolation might be okay too now and then, but insulation is what I'm getting at because to be insulated means that there is a protection involved in it. Number four, it employs, are we on number three? Number three, it provides protection from spiritual darkness and worldly concepts. Spiritual darkness is rising in this world. The world is becoming darker than it has ever been. If you want to look at the last moment of time, you need to go no further than the type and shadow of the final two plagues that, that was cast upon Egypt. The last plague was the death of the firstborn son. It was, a, it was an angel that visited every home that did not have the blood applied. That is the end time representation of the final moment but before that, the Bible says, darkness covered the land for three days. You, they could not see anything in front of their face. Nothing. They could see nothing. It was like shut up in a room in a dark dungeon. There was no light. It was the absence of light all through Egypt. This is the representation of the day that you live in. The darkness is severe. That's why when their church becomes the light, it is a magnificent draw. People are drawn to the light because of the darkness. The contrast of it is so, is so incredible. Why? Because there's, gro- there's gross darkness and holiness is a protection from the darkness. And from spiritual wickedness and spiritual darkness and spiritual warfare. Amen. So when people talk to me about, well, we don't need that and we don't need to, you know, all of that's man-made stuff. Really? Is that what you're going to argue now? This is what you're arguing? In the, in the worst of times, you're going to argue against being set apart? You ought to be running to be set apart. You ought to be thinking, how can I get closer to God and farther from the world? Amen. We're, we're, we're going to get up there. And am I on number four? I've lost track. It employs consistency and structure for a godly life. How about a consistent life? Not a haphazard life. A consistent life. Well, We'll, we'll work on that a little bit here in a moment. Number five, it leads to a remembrance. Everyone say remember. Remembrance of God's provisions and his authority. Because holiness to be set apart is an intentional act. It's a decision that you make. And why do you make it? Because God has ordained it. Because God has spoken it. He said come out. All right. Now, we're going to look at a little bit of the Lord's structure for mankind. The Lord gave structure for the world. About three quarters of the world is covered with water. The the earth spins on its axis. We are in precise accordance with the moon that gives gravitational pull. The Lord has closed the waves so that they do not overrun the earth. The sun is in precise distance so that we are neither too cold or do we burn up? Your body has a particular temperature. Your, the amount of blood in your system. Uh, all of the respiratory 
cardiovascular systems, uh, skeletal systems, muscular systems. They are in, in accordance or in concordance with each other. You have all of those. You have an emotional system. God put all of that in precise order. All of it was order. God is not a God of disorder. He is a God of preciseness and order. From, from a man and a woman, from the head, from the, from the top to the bottom, from the earth, from ecology, all things are in order. God is a precise God. And he put things in order so that he could help us maintain a set-apart life. All right. And one of the things that he put in order was a reflection of his own work and his own pattern. I'll read a little bit here, Exodus chapter 16. He said to them, This is that which the Lord has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath. Unto the Lord bake that which he will bake. Today see that which you will see, and that which remaineth overlay up for yourselves. Keep it to the morning. This was, this was, I'll get back to this, but this was in relation to what God had done. Genesis 2, 2. On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. All right. So when they went into the wilderness... God said, I'm going to give you manna. Let's go back up to Exodus 16. I'm going to give you manna. And for six days, every morning, you'll have manna on the ground. You pick it up. You can boil it. You can bake it. You can fry it. You can saute that manna. And there's a list of other things that I won't bore you with. But there's all the ways. But on the sixth day, you can pick up enough manna for the seventh day too. Because on the seventh day... I don't want you out there picking up manna. I'm not going to give you manna. Because the seventh day is your day of rest. It's the day that you pause. But if they, if they went to the manna, or they worked on the day, or they picked up too much, or they decided, you know what, I don't want to go, I don't want to work on the fifth day, so I'm going to pick up as much manna as I can on the fourth day. That manna that was preserved from the sixth to the seventh spoiled from the fourth to the fifth, from the second to the third. God preserved the manna on the seventh day, but he made it rot and spoil on every other day because God was emphatic. There is a day that's holy. You set it apart. And the reason why you set it apart is because that's my pattern. That's my pattern. Exodus 31, 16. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. This is my covenant for you. You're set apart. You're not like everybody else. They may work every day of the week, but not you. In fact, God was so emphatic, he even said, every seventh year, let the land rest. Don't till the land. Don't try to get crops. Don't, through your own greed, don't do all of that because this is better for you. It's for me. It's for your body. It's for your health. It's for our relationship. Now, what has happened today? Now, what's happened today is we've removed the recognition of the covenant. That's right. The fourth command 
was this, Exodus 20 and 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Everyone say holy. It's set apart. It's set apart. So, this is what I say. It's important for us to set aside a day for the Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord instituted not just the day, but he also instituted festivals or these were celebrations, these were moments for remembrance. And he did that for structure. Because to be set apart, there has to be structure. And so structure is critical. And you would, maybe you would say, well, I didn't know that holiness or being set apart had anything to do with structure. It has everything to do with structure. Because God wants to structure your life. In the structure gives you the ability to see what is on the outside, what's on the inside, what should and should not be. Structure is critical. You're not less spiritual if you're structured. No. If you're structured, it means you're giving God the due. You're giving God the opportunity to bless your life. Amen. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was a mouthful. If I could stay on that, I would. All right. So there were seasons, and within those seasons, and I, I, I call them seasons. Don't think of them as, as summer, spring, fall, winter. Don't think of them. In fact, if you think there's only seasons, you haven't, four seasons. If you think there's only four seasons, then you haven't read Ecclesiastes. It looks like there's 26 seasons. <laughs> there's a time and season for everything. A time to laugh, time to cry, time to, time to fight, a time, I'm sure there's a time to kill a ladybug. Her season is drawing near. Um, so I present these to you because this is part and parcel of the structure. You have to have a structure. And this structure coincides with relationships, concepts, ideas, home, family, marriage, all children. These structures. And they help us Live a set-apart life. Here are three for you. The Passover, Pentecost, and Sukkot. Passover is Pesach. Pentecost is, it, it, it is what you read. And Sukkot, of course, the same. Then the Passover commemorates uh, the liberation from Egypt. It's a slavery, the bondage of it. And so after they were set free, every year at that time, for thousands of years, even to this day, the Jews celebrate Passover. One time in your Bible, the word Easter is mentioned. One time. But Easter was really represented, uh, only a representation of Passover. We will, sell, we will say Easter because it's more of an American cultural or a custom. But really, Easter is Passover. So if you want to be, if you, if you want to be scripturally sound, there is Passover. That's what happens. Now Easter has, has gone from Passover into an American celebration that has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has to do with, with family and fun and, and children and, and, and colors and pastels. 
But Passover was a commemoration of something. And Jewish fathers, still to this day, will ask their children on that day of Passover, kids, what makes today different from every other day in the year? And they will recite, this is the day that the Lord took us out of Egypt. Why are they still saying that? Why? Because if you forget, hmm, See, you remove all of that, you won't even know why you're set apart. You are set apart because the Lord brought you out of slavery and bondage. He brought you out of all the junk that you were in. He picked you up. You couldn't do it by himself. But that is a recognition. A lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. But you were not redeemed with corruptible, corruptible things like silver and gold received from your vain tradition, from your fathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. He was a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Passover is the recognition that Jesus died the cross because Jesus died on the Passover. All right. So if there's a reason to be set apart... It's because you are bought with a price. The Bible says you're not your own. Say it. I'm not my own. Stop being your own. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. If you are blood bought and you're saved, you're not your own. You don't get to do what you want to do. You, you serve the master. You serve the king. You are children of the king and you got to serve the king. That, you can say amen all you want, but that does not work in the American church. You'll say amen to me, but then you'll do whatever you want to do. You better pick up your Bible and say, Lord, what's ever in that book, that's what I'm going to do because you're the king and I'm your child. This is not an American Bible. No, it is not. And Jesus is not an American savior. Oh. And this Bible is not by validation. And the Bible is not a... We are a democratic republic, but that's not the Bible. The Bible represents a monarchy, a theocracy, the king eternal, and we are the children of the king. Mm-hmm. There you go. It feels good when I tell you the truth, even when you just look at me. Here's number two is Pentecost. It's a celebration. And it's the celebration of the Torah, the law, given to Moses on Mount Sinai. They come out of Egypt, but they don't know how to live till they get to Sinai. You can get out. You can get out from your mess. That does not mean you know how to live. (laughs) Now, God gave Moses the law, the commandments on the mountain. He's up there, him and Joshua. They're walking up. Moses said, Joshua, you stay right here halfway up. I'm going all the way. Moses goes up there. He spends 40 days with God. God writes with his own hand, whatever that looked like, he put in the, in the tablets of stone the commandments. Gave them to Moses. Moses walks back down. He picks up Joshua on the way, finds all the people. They've already devolved into sin. They've created another God. They went right back to the God Asics that used to be found in Egypt. They're all, not all of them, many of them dancing around. They're doing horrible things. Moses draws a line in the sand. He says, who's on the Lord's side? The Levites step over. They pick up, they pick up weapons of war and they kill several thousand men that day. And the Levites are now set apart for the work of God because they stood with Moses. Moses was mad because he had a temper problem. 
the greatest leader in the, in the history of the world, the prophet, the Bible calls him the most humble man. How, I don't know how that could be. He's angry all the time. Why? Because the people make him angry. The people made him mad. That's why he struck the rock. He shouldn't have struck the rock. You, you strike the rock one time, that's the type of Jesus Christ. You speak to the rock the second time, but the people drove him crazy. He's got to go back up to the mountain, and this time God said, listen, I've already wrote in the, in the tablet of stone. This time you chisel them out. He's got to do more work because he lost his temper. I think I'm preaching to myself right now. I just got just feel convicted. People just driving him crazy. They won't do the right thing. He's coming, uh, uh, he goes up to the mountain. He's there for 40 days. No, no sooner had he gone, the people turned to Aaron and said, we don't even know what happened to this Moses, as if they have no affiliation with the man who brought them out. Mm-hmm. And, and God writes the law on a tablet of stone, but he told Jeremiah, yeah, that's what I did. But speak to the people. I'm going to take away your stony heart. In time, there's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to write my law on the tablets of your heart. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Sinai is 50 days after after Passover. They get out of Egypt 50 days later. They're at Sinai. They get out. they, they, They celebrate Passover 50 days is Pentecost. Pentecost is Sinai. Got it? Pentecost is Sinai. God instituted this because he wanted to set apart people. Now he's not going to write it on a, on a, on a stone. He's going to write his law on your heart. That's, that's why when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he puts in a heart of flesh so now he can write convictions, understanding, right living, A spiritual conscience. All of a sudden, you want to be like God. All of a sudden, you are checked in your spirit. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go there. No, I've got got to live holy and set apart as unto the Lord. Amen. Number three is Sukkot. That's an interesting time. Sukkot. Sukkot is a remembrance of the journey through the wilderness. I'm going to come back to that. But let's just get, let's just, let's just for a moment, let's just go back a little bit. Let's just do a little recap. The weekly is the Sabbath. That's a holy day. That's a day to rest. That's a day to stop. That's a day to pause. That's a day to remember that the Lord created the whole world. The Passover celebrates freedom, liberation. You were brought out. Pentecost is a contemplation of the commandments of God. It's the, it's the new heart. And Sukkot is a consideration. I, I, I'm not going to go there yet. Why is Passover and Pentecost so close? Why are they so close? Because Sukkot happens later in the year. It happens in the late fall. There's a, there's a, a, a lunar uh, recognition of that and correlation. We won't go there yet. Just, but why, why is it 50 days? They went to Jerusalem, spent seven days in Jerusalem, packed up their bags, went back home. 50 days later, they're back there again. So 
43 days later, maybe, maybe even 40 days later, maybe 35 days later, they all make their way back to Jerusalem again to celebrate Pentecost. The first fruit, they're bringing, they're bringing an offering of their first fruit. Why so close? Why do you have this, why do you have this, this freedom of Passover? But then you've got an offering of recognition, and this is my reason why. Because freedom without boundaries is chaos. Freedom without law is chaos. We are a free people in this country. But if you, if you dilute the law, you have no freedom. If you stop, if you, if you remove laws and take them off your books, everyone loses their freedom. Because freedom without law is chaos. Our country, the world, places devolve if you have no law. You drive on a road 50, 60 miles an hour, and a car is coming the other way, but there's a law. One of the laws is you don't cross two yellow lines. But if you go to other countries, it's a free-for-all, and there's, there are no lines, and there are no laws, and many people die. In fact, there's a place in India that hundreds and thousands of people have died crossing that road. They've died. They've gotten run over by cars. Major injury. But you have freedom. You can drive whatever, whatever speed, whatever direction. Ten cars this way, five cars that way. There's no law. There's also chaos and there's death. Amen. Okay, <laughs> we're going. And then you've got Sukkot. Now what is Sukkot? Sukkot, listen, God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember something. And I want you to be set apart. Every year, I want you to, to create a replica of the tent or the shelter that you lived in when you were in the wilderness. And I want you to go in there and live for seven days. And I want you to remember that there was a time you went through struggle. I know you're in the land of promise. I know it's good. I know you've got grapes the size of your hand. I know you have a land that flows with milk and honey. I know you've got all the crops that you'll ever need. I know I've given you great victory, but one time a year, I want you to recreate a little hut. I want you to live in there because I want you to remember the struggle because there's something about the struggle. If you forget the struggle and the journey, something is wrong. See, you forget the struggle, you'll lose your separation. You'll say, you know what? It was okay. It was, it was okay living in the world. No, it was not okay. You came out of that. The moment, and this is what the Jews did. They said, I wish we'd have died in Egypt. We had leeks. We had onions. We had everything we wanted. That's a lie. They were remembering something that never happened. They were oppressed. They were beaten. They were tormented. But they got far enough away, and they went through a struggle, and they thought yesterday was better. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't better. The world wasn't better. The enemy wasn't better. Living in the world wasn't better. Sin wasn't better. The church is always better. And if you go through a struggle, praise God you're going through a struggle. But you ought to remember, it was worse there than it is here. You had no hope there. You had no help there. Amen. Somebody said amen. At the end of the year, there's this set-apart moment. And that set-apart moment is where you remember something. And you remember where it was. We, we used to call that testimony service. Not everybody obeyed the rules of testimony service. They were unwritten rules, you know. There was a couple unwritten rules 
No one said it, but you shouldn't have done it. Sometimes people would stand up and they'd air their grievances about somebody else in the church. Or they would talk too long. Or they'd get off the subject. Or they just wanted to talk about what was going on. But really, the testimony service was to declare how good God had been. How good God is. And where the Lord brought you from. Anyone in this room just can say, the Lord has brought me a mighty long way. I have a testimony about what the Lord has done. Amen. So these are, these are critical moments that you would be set apart from the world. You have to pay attention now to what I'm teaching because there's a pressing of your life. There's a pressing of your life to readjust your definitions of words and ideas and to, to dilute your convictions and, and to engage in a worldly concept. I just, I'll share with you a few attributes of set apart. Here's one of the attributes, and I won't exhaust the whole, I'm just offering you three. One of the attributes is that you are in pursuit of God's approval. What does God approve of? Uh, not what other people, what does God approve of? Not what people tolerate, not what you think that God approves of, but what does he actually approve of? That means it's going to take some prayer. Number two, there's, there's one of the attributes is boundaries. It's a boundary around ideas and doctrines because it's, 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 um, it's declared through the word, through the scripture. This is declared through the scripture. And so, what are the boundaries? You cannot just pretend or you can't make up your own scripture. You can't make up your own ideas. They have to be congruent with the scripture or actual verses of the Bible. (laughs) All right. And number three, there's an understanding of the scripture. Because the attribute of it is you have to understand the Bible. This is God's book. This is what he said. So what does the Bible say? How should a man treat treat his his wife how should children treat their parents what are the boundaries because see outside the boundaries there's nothing that indicates you're set apart if you remove the boundaries there's no ownership and and there's there there's no law of the lord there's no there's no matter of 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 uh, of conduct so set apart or living a holy life or living a life of holiness it's it's critical, and it's not an option. And if you think it's an option, then the other two triads of your faith, just wipe them out too. Didn't they say, well, it doesn't matter if you're baptized. It doesn't matter if you repent. I know that Jesus said it, but it doesn't matter. We're, we're in a new day. Nobody wants to repent. So let's just remove repentance. Would you remove repentance out of the church? Would anyone vote to remove repentance out of the church? Would you remove that? Uh, obviously, no. Then you cannot remove holiness or a life set apart. If you remove holiness, you might as well remove the baptismal tank too. And let's just have a big community and we'll all come here to find out where we're going to eat afterwards. <laughs> let's, just, let's just call it a big social club. We pay whatever little dues here and there and have a good time and be entertained. No, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law I've got to hide. The law of the Lord is directing my life. And he's doing that through days and times and the word and understanding and their attributes of it. 
Amen. Praise God. Now, there's other parts, and I'm, and I'm not going to exhaust all of it tonight. We have several lessons, and we're working our way through all of these. So please don't think that tonight is the totality of being set apart. This is one of many. And even when we're done uh, with this month of May, there'll be many, many more. Because this is our life. This is, this is what we do. This is our life. This is not just what we do. It's who we are. Amen. It's who we are. There's set-apart attributes in worship. Uh, if you look at the Ten Commandments in their full form, three of them have to do with worship and recognition. Uh, the, the first one, there are no other gods. You should have no other gods. Uh, and the second one, no graven images. That means there's no idol. There's no, we don't set up an idol. We don't have a picture of one of the uh, apostles or, or, or one of the disciples because that's a graven image. We don't have a statue. We don't put statues in our yards of, 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 any, of any disciple or any apostle or any matriarch or patriarch. We don't do that. We don't set up an idol uh, of, a, of, 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 a, of, of a nature or the sun or all the things that they, they once did in, in the Old Testament and even the New. And even today, people have idols. There's a lot of idols and graven images. That's against the Ten Commandments. I, I got to pause and ask you, are the Ten Commandments still applicable for you? The, the Ten Commandments are the basis of all human law and natural law. The Ten Commandments are, it's the basis of all laws in the world. I mean, you remove those and once again, you've got chaos. No one can be set apart if you remove the Ten Commandments. And the third one is not to take the, Lord, the Lord's name in vain. And it's critical that we don't do that. And that's a boundary around what we say. It's a boundary about, about what we say. Which I'm very concerned about that. Because we know that some things are sinful. But we give allowances for ourselves. Well, I was just angry. Would you say the same thing about having an affair? Having an inappropriate relationship with someone else that's not your spouse? I, I, and I, I just lost control. Really? Is that, that's what we're going to say? Yeah, I just, I just lost my, I just, I just said a bad thing. Really? We're just going to pass that off? It should grieve you. And the reason why we're not grieved, especially in the church, is because we have lost our separation. And the problem with our Pentecostal churches is that we think all of our separation has to do with what we wear. And there's no boundary about what we say or what we type or what we post. But you don't have one of those preachers here. Just so you know. And I hope that's okay with you. But if it's not, I'm, I'll be here Sunday. <laughs> wait, wait a second. We got to be a set apart people in everything that we do. In everything that we do. And everywhere, everywhere we go, every, every th thought we think we've got to be set apart. Job said, I take into captivity every thought. Not random things flying too much through my mind. Let me ask you. Uh, who is the main competitor to God? Who, who, who is the main idol? Thank you so much. Self. Me. Isn't it interesting? When I, was, when I was a teenager, there was no such thing as a selfie. 
You couldn't even hold a Polaroid camera like that. You couldn't even hold it. Someone else had to take the picture of you. So if they're taking the picture, it's not a selfie. It's called a picture. A selfie denotes you took it of yourself. Selfie. And selfie is the great description of the competitor of God. Uh Uh-oh. Don't talk about my selfies, Pastor. And we don't just have selfies, but we have filters, which I'm pretty much in favor of. And the filter on your selfie makes you look better than you are. In fact, it could make you look different than you are. In fact, there's a lot of people that post images of themselves. That's not even the person. You dare not meet them on a date. <laughs> You're trying to find out who it was, who it is. Who are you? Mm -hmm. But this is the competitor of God. So I would just say the idol is no longer a statue or a motif. It's not a crying Mary that's hung on a wall. The idol has become mankind. Man is, is, is his or her own idol. Don't have any other gods. We become the God. And let me just tell you, any preacher who tells you that you are a God with a small g, that preacher is an apostate and he's a reprobate mind and he's a liar. And there's a lot of preachers today talking to people saying just because you're made the image of God and you're a child of God that now you're a God. I'm going to tell you, you are not a God. You will never be a God. You'll be the sons of God, but there's only one God. You're not a big G or a small G. There's only one God and his name is Jesus. I just, I need to go on record because there's a lot of, this has been a wave now. It's going around that we're, all of us are, you're not a God. You're fallible. You're flawed. Your, your righteousness is like filthy rags. You are not a God. You're born into the kingdom and he is the God and you are the sheep of the pasture. I am not a God and no one here is. And anyone who tells you that mess has failed to understand the revelation of Jesus Christ and failed in the scripture. And that is what's happening today, that people have become gods. You're competing against the only God. In fact, God said in the book of Isaiah, is there a God beside me? I know not any. A just God and a Savior. That's what he said. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Let me do that again. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. You couldn't save yourself if you, if you tried. You couldn't help yourself if you tried. You're not intellectual enough to help yourself. You're not strong enough. You're not rich enough. You're not brave enough. You don't have enough boldness and courage. Only the Lord can save you. Only he could bring you out. Amen. Amen. Think about holiness in worship. Give unto the Lord, there's your scripture, the glory due unto his name. Not the glory contingent upon how you feel. Can someone give witness to this thought? We don't always feel good. I know I feel good right now. I just want you to know, besides the ladybug, I'm great. But even when you don't feel good, you don't, your world is not right. You give him glory. Because it's due him. (laughs) It's not about me, Lord. I come to give you glory just because you deserve it. You deserve it. Amen. Bring an offering come before him. 
You deserve it. And worship the Lord in the beauty of being set apart. Holiness. See, in the scripture, worship wasn't a three a, a, a three chorus song set. Worship was sacrifice. God spoke to Abraham, go to Moriah, bring your son. All the servants are with him. They got all the mules, all the packs. They brought some fire along. Obviously, everyone knew they're going to sacrifice. This was not an unusual thing. Because when they sacrificed any animal, they would go to the highest peak of where they could be because that's what they thought. They wanted to get closer to God. It got away from the lowlands. So it was natural for them to go up the mountain and make a sacrifice. But when they got to the foot of Moriah, which is actually a, a, a large mountainous range. It's not one single mountain. It's a mountainous range. So somewhere in that mountainous range, when they got to the foot of the mountain, Abraham turned to his servant and said, stay right here. Me and Isaac, we're, my son and I, we're going up. And this is what he said. We're going up to worship. Worship in the Bible meant sacrifice. It meant giving of something that belonged to you. Amen. So I would just say to you that if we're going to worship in, in the beauty of holiness, we're going to have to bring a sacrifice before the Lord. Now that, that doesn't always mean money. It might mean many, many other things. But we're giving something to God. Amen. Let me just give you this small overview and I have to include this because it has the key word. And even though Ephesians is talking about many things, there's a break in the narrative with an example. As Paul is writing, husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. There it is, the church. I needed that word, the church. Because at this juncture, now he's going to go to these. Uh, he's going to go to the identifications, and we need to know that he's talking about the church. He gave himself for it, the church. He gave himself for the church. So even as Christ lo also loved the church, he gave himself and gave himself for it, meaning the church. Here's the, here's the next verse, verse 26. That he may sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. That he may pre might present it, it, the church, to himself. A glorious church. And now, how is he going to present the church to himself? This scripture has been diluted, discarded, abandoned. It, ha it has, this verse that I'm reading to you has, has, has come under great scrutiny. There has been... People who have shrugged their shoulders and say, who can live up to that? This scripture has been, has been used uh, in, in, in rebuttal. As people give themselves allowances, excuses, all of that and more. But the Bible says he's going to present the church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That is serious business but that it should be holy and without blemish. Oh my. 
So if, if you're going to be saved and be presented as the church, he wants to present us to himself, a church without spot or without wrinkle or without any such thing, which is a wide open field. But it should be holy. It should be without blemish. Let, let me just tell you about the bride. The bride comes down the aisle. This is the traditional reason for a bride wearing white. She wore white to indicate her virginity. We remove that. It don't matter who you are. Everybody can wear whatever they want to. They can wear white even if they don't fulfill the original design. But that's not how the Lord's going to present his church. Now you might see that at a wedding, but you're not going to see that at the, at the last day. God's going to present the church as a bride, spotless, adorned, beautiful, without blemish. She is going to be holy, set apart. She's going to be presented to him. He's the groom, we're the bride. So what does that mean? We've got to be intentional about being set apart from the world. And everything after this lesson is meant to bring us into a recognition of a holy life as unto the Lord. Amen. Let me just tell you about holiness and some elements here. <laughs> holiness includes concepts. Mm. It's a, it's a, a, you could even call it a worldview. Your worldview. Yeah. Holiness. Well, one of the issues that's happened in, in, in this modern time is that the devil has played against and used the scripture so that the church is afraid to stand up for what's right. And the devil has used one verse that Jesus spoke that has no correlation in, in, in what it's being used for. When Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. But if you read the whole context of it and the Bible, you'll find out that we are, we are commanded to execute judgment. They are not in contrast to one another. In fact, the Bible says, test and try the spirits and see whether they are of God. In fact, we are, we are demanded and commanded to judge. Oh, well, how, how does that, well, then, 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 then how does that mesh, Pastor? Well, we'll, we'll get in that to another lesson. We don't have time because it's almost time to go home. But I will teach you that. And judge not that you be not judged has nothing to do with us standing up. But see, the devil and the world has used that, so don't judge me. You're supposed to be a Christian. Oh, yes, I'm going to, because that's wrong. <laughs> that's immoral. We're afraid to say something's immoral. Well, you're, uh, you know, you're just a Christian. Well, you walk around judging. We, have, we, we are commanded to execute the judgments of God. Amen. We'll get to it. So one of the elements is concepts, ideologies of this worldview. The other ele element of holy living has to do with trends. 
So trends are, are, are you know, you, you, have to, you have to see what holy living looks like trends. And I, I point these trends out because trends uh, often want to dictate how you think and how you live and what you do. And if you follow trends, you, 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 you don't, you're, 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 going to, you're going to deviate invariably from a holy lifestyle. Many trends have led people away from going to church. From, from coming to the house. What happens when it's trendy to stay at home or, or to say, I don't go to organized church. I don't believe in organized church. Really? You, you, you mean you believe in disorganized church? <laughs> we got that too. <laughs> If you want disorganization, we, we, we can pull that off, no problem. So you have to look at trends when you, when you look at elements of, 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 of a holy life. These concepts of the world, you have to look at the concepts and you have to measure all this. Here's the, here's the next one, language. Because language, not just verbiage, but language, um, there, there, is a, there is a language spoken by people who have convictions and who abide by the law. Now, let me, the law of the Lord. Now, let me, just, let me just separate those two. I'm glad if you have a conviction against doing something that's wrong. I'm glad. I hope you do. But even if you don't have a conviction against fornication, you don't need a conviction. No. Because the word of God already is against that. You might need a conviction about something that's not explicitly spelled out in the scripture. But if it's in the scripture, and the scripture says all liars will find their place in the lake of fire, you don't need a conviction. Well, I have a conviction about lying. No, you don't. Don't tell me you have no conviction about lying. The Lord already said, don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Well, I don't know. I just have this personal conviction. It's not personal. That's the law of God. It governs everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bunch of people walking around saying, I have my convictions. You have your convictions. I'm glad. But if it's, in the, if it's in the word, it's not a conviction. It's the written word of God. And language, there's things you should not say because you know it's in the word of God. Paul write, Paul wrote, abstain from profane babblings and from profanity. I don't have a conviction about that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, where did that word come from? Where did that four-letter word come from? It doesn't matter. Your society knows that is profanity. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Better be careful. Better be careful. Because if you're not set apart, you'll start speaking like the world. You'll have the ideas of the world. You'll follow the trends of the world. Here's the last one, clothing. And, 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 and we'll get on this as we move along. Clothing, attire, what we wear, how we present ourselves. That's right, how we present ourselves. And if you don't think clothing matters, clothing matters a lot today. Clothing matters because clothing is now dictating what people think their gender is. Oh, man. I think we were right all along. Thank God we were right all along. Amen. 
okay, it's 7.35, and I just want to just close this way. What you put into your body, how you think, what you put into your mind, where you go, what you will and will not say, what you will and will not do, what you have in your heart, what you put on your person, what language you use, what you will not watch or look at, is all part of being separate, set apart. I don't have a lack of love for people. If they're not set apart, I still love them. But by the lifestyle that I live, my life itself condemns them. That's right. And I won't back down from it. That does not mean that I'm perfect. Doesn't mean that I got it all together. I'm striving. But I do know I'm striving to live a set-apart life. And holiness to be set-apart is filled with limitations. God has put limitations. Read your Bible. The limitations of a husband and a wife. The limitations of children as they honor their father and their mother. The limitations of elders and how we ought to treat our elders. The limitations, what we should and should not do according to ministry, how we should treat ministry. The limitations of a husband and a wife, a wife to a husband. The limitations of what you see. The limitations of what you say. Set apart has all the limitations. Your Bible, the one you read, the one that you talk about when you, when you're with your friends, with the Psalms and the Proverbs and Psalm 23 and all the other nice scriptures, that whole Bible has limitations in it. He wants to bring you in and come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. Don't even touch that thing that's out there. Set apart. I'm set apart. Come on, say it. I'm set apart. Put your hand on yourself and say, I'm set apart. And what do you set apart? I'm set apart for the kingdom. I'm set apart for the time. I'm set apart. I want my soul to be saved. I'm set apart. It's not about me being angry and hateful to someone else. But no, I'm set apart for the king. He is the king. I'm set apart for the work of the kingdom of God. I'm set apart for the glory of God. I've come to worship in the beauty of holiness. I've come to give my mind, my thought. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast my, my eyes on him. He's the one I I'm after I'm set apart. My family's set apart. We're not going to be like the world. My, my, my spouse, we are set apart. My home, my finances, my worship, my energy, everything's set apart. I don't just go to the church. I am the church. I don't just attend someplace. I am the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. And all the people said amen. If you didn't enjoy it, There's a sweet southern bell coming next week. And she's much kinder than I am. Amen. She lets the ladybugs live. Please stand with me now. And Lord Jesus, we're thankful. We give our hands, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our energies. We want to live as unto you. I thank you for the word, for the people who have come tonight. Bless your people. And help us to be the bride of Christ. Set apart for this hour and this day. In Jesus name I pray. And all the people said amen. Thank you for watching today. If you would like to help us continue to deliver content around the world online. Please consider making a donation. Head to newlifeterrahoe.com 
then choose the giving option that works best for you. Have a great day.